Father in heaven, indeed we can say praise the Lord for all the good things that thou hast done. Lord, we are undeserving, but we know that we are also your children and you are our Father who desires to give your children good gifts. We thank you for the word that we heard this morning. We pray your presence with us this afternoon. Open our hearts, our minds and understandings. If we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. With the Lord's help, I'd like to turn to the book of Judges, chapter 4. The book of Judges, chapter 4. This follows the book of Joshua. Chapter 4 of Judges, beginning at verse 1. And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord when Ehud was dead. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, that reigned in Hazor, <clears throat> the captain of whose host was Sisera, which dwelt in Herosh, Herosbeth, Herosh, Herosheth, of the Gentiles and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord for he had 900 chariots of iron and 20 years he mightily oppressed the children of Israel and Devorah a prophetess the wife of Lapidoth she judged Israel at that time and she dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in Mount Ephraim and the children of Israel came to her for judgment and she went and called Barak the son of Ahinoam Abinoam of Kedesh Naphtali and said unto him hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded saying go and draw toward Mount Tabor and take with thee ten thousand men of the children of Naphtali and of the children of Zebulun. And I will draw unto thee to the river Kison, Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude. And I will deliver him into thine hand. And Barak said unto her, If thou wilt go with me, then I will go. But if thou wilt not go with me, then I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with thee, notwithstanding the journey that thou takest shall not be for thine honour. For the Lord shall sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. And he went up with 10,000 men at his feet. And Deborah went up with him. Now Heber the Kenite, which was of the children of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, had severed himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent unto the plain of Zanaim, which is by Kadesh. And they showed Sisera that Barak the son of Abinoam was gone up to Mount Tabor. And Sisera 
gathered together all his chariots, even 900 chariots of iron, all the men that were with him. For Harasheth of the Gentiles, from Harasheth of the Gentiles, unto the river of Kishon. And Deborah said unto Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord hath delivered Sisera into thine hand. Is not the Lord gone out before thee? But Barak went down from Mount Tabor, and ten thousand men after him. And the Lord discomfited Sisera and all his chariots and all his host with the edge of the sword before Barak, so that Sisera lighted down off his chariot and fled away on his feet. But Barak pursued the chariots and after the host unto Harosheth of the Gentiles, and all the hosts of Sisera fell upon the edge of the sword, and there was not a man left. Howbeit, Sisera fled away on his feet to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. And Jael went out to meet Sisera, and said unto him, Turn in, my lord, turn in unto me, fear not. And when he had turned in unto her into the tent, she covered him with a mantle. And he said unto her, Give me, I pray thee, a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. And she opened a bottle of milk and gave him to drink and covered him. And again he said unto her, Stand in the door of the tent, and it shall be when any man doth come and inquire of thee and say, Is there any man here? Thou shalt say no. Then Jael, Heber's wife, took a nail of the tent and took a hammer in her hand and went softly unto him and smote the nail through his temples and fastened it to the ground, for he was fast asleep and weary. So he died. And behold, as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said unto him, Come, and I will show thee the man whom thou seekest. And when he came unto her, <clears throat> into her tent, behold, Sisera lay dead, and the nails was in his temples. So God subdued on that day Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel prospered and prevailed against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, the king of Canaan. I've read the entire chapter. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. This is a very different chapter. This is a very different story. In many ways. Drama. Things that are, are very raw, if you will. And on top of that, it was a woman that God chose to help defeat the enemies of Israel. Just to give some context very quickly, as mentioned, the book of Judges follows the book of Joshua. Joshua was commanded by God to take over the job of Moses to bring the children of Israel into Canaan, if you remember. Moses was disqualified because of his disobedience. 
He never sanctified the Lord in the eyes of the people when he smashed the rock with his rod instead of speaking to the rock to bring, bring forth water. And so Moses stayed on the other side of the river Jordan and died on Mount Nebo. And Joshua took them in and God had commanded them, if you read the first two chapters, it was a summary of what God had commanded them to do when they entered the land. They would get rid of the land of Canaan of seven tribes, seven nations, drive them out, and they will then inherit and dwell in the land, and the land will be partitioned between the tribes of Israel. And they did that for the first chapter or so, and they completely wiped out, drove out, um, if you will, the nations that were before them, Judah and Simeon and, and the, the, the leaders of the, of the tribes, until they countered some difficult resistance and they let it go. And they probably felt this is easier just to let it go. Don't, don't go all the way with what God had told them to do. So by the time you get to chapter 2, in the middle of the chapter, Joshua dies. Joshua's dead. And now the people really don't have a leader like Joshua. But instead, God commanded them to appoint judges. They came in one at a time. There were 12 judges in the nation of Israel. And God appointed them one at a time. The first one was Othniel. And Othniel was the son of Joshua's, of, of Caleb's younger brothers. And he was like a first cousin, if you will, to Caleb, Othniel. And he was given the commission to do, and he did what he did. And then they had for 40 years peace. And later on, Ehud came, and they had 80 years peace. Finally, after, there was a very short stint by a, by a judge called Shamgar, who it says is almost like a Samson feat, where he killed 600 of the enemies with an ox goad. The thing that prod the oxen to, to keep plowing. Just something like Samson with the jawbone of an ass, where he defeated a thousand Philistines. And then, after that... <clears throat> It seems to be people were satisfied and people were relaxed and then they went back into their sin. They went back into idolatry. They went back into worshipping Baal and Ashtaroth. They began to marry, intermarry with the, with the pagan and, and the heathen around, the, the ones that they should have driven out and completely destroyed. They began to marry with them and be, with that came there worship, idol worship, and they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And this was a, a template for what happened in the book of Judges. After God had punished them, after God, it says, it's a very interesting word. Look at that word that we read in chapter 4, where it says, in chapter 4, verse 2, it says, and let's begin with verse 1. And the, and the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. 
when Ehud was, was dead. So the third judge died, and then they went back into doing evil. And verse 2 says, And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin the king. What does it mean, the Lord sold them? He didn't get any money for them. He didn't get any, any uh, compensation for them. But that word there, sold, is like he didn't want to possess them anymore. He, 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 drew, he, he gave them up. He allowed them to go into the, the battle and lose against their enemies in, in the, in the, with the intent that they will once again learn that they can do nothing without God and they will basically pay for their sin. They will reap what they sow because they forsake God. God says you're on your own. And it says here he wanted to prove them. He did this because he wanted to prove them. And that's the first thing that happened when they forsook God again and God sells them. And the children of Israel then cry unto the Lord when they get beaten and, 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 and defeated and brought back under, if you will, servitude to the, those that are around them. And so the next thing that happens in this cycle, in this circle, this vicious circle of their lives, and the children then cry unto the Lord for he had when this, this king... Jabin sends his commander Sisera from the north to, to fight them. They cry unto the Lord. Why? He had 900 chariots. And 20 years he mightily oppressed the children of Israel. So they cry unto him. Like Israel in Egypt, oppressed by the pharaohs, oppressed by the taskmasters, crying unto the Lord. And then Lord God sends them Moses and delivers them. And after he sends Moses and delivers them, then they complain and then they murmur. And isn't that the cycle that goes on today? Isn't that the cycle that goes on today? Not necessarily, it could be happening on a, a global level, on a national level, when God will punish nations. But what about in our homes? What about in our families? What about in our churches? When children decide to go off and do their own thing, you know, one of the one of the high, one of the verses that highlighted the book of Judges is in I think it's in chapter twenty-one. It says, "And the people, because there was no king, and because God, well, I'm just putting this in, and because God was not their king, they continue to do evil in their sight. They continue to do evil according to their own eyes. They followed what their own eyes." led them to do what their feelings were, how they understood that they should live in their own sight, in their own eyes. And so God says, you want it? I'll let you do what you want to do in your own eyes. And then they get themselves into trouble and then they cry out unto God. We don't have to look far. I don't have to look far. Happened with me, happened with my family, happened with your, your, your families where, where people will not heed the word of God but they do things in their own eyes, what's right in their own eyes and then they cry out to God. 
Again, I was talking to an individual this week. And the same individual says, why do I have to do this? I want to be a Christian, but why do I have to do this? Why do I have to do this? I said, up to this point in time, did you not lean unto your own understanding? Did you do what you wanted to do? Didn't you go according to what you thought was the best? And where did you end up? Unless you hold the word of God as the authority in your life, you're going to continue to lean on your own understanding. And you're going to come to point and say, oh, I made a mistake. Oh, God, help me. How many marriages have ended up in divorce because of that? How many, how many relationships have been broken? How many um, career turns did I have to make because I didn't follow what the Lord told me to do? But I leaned on to my own understanding. When God says, be honest, when God says, be truthful, when God says, be honest, uh, on, uh, uh, open, and we tell lies and we uh, try to deceive other people, it catches up to us. And then we get into more trouble. I'm speaking as a general. In general, I'm speaking we as a whole, not one, anyone individually. And so we do things the way we think we should do them. And then when we get in trouble, oh, God, help me. That's what Israel was doing all along. So, in Israel, instead of doing the will of the Lord, God then comes back to their rescue again. Think of this. In every one of these 12 judges, the same pattern occurs. Now, God had sold them individually at every corner, but he never completely rejected them as a nation. He kept on bringing them back and teaching them a lesson. He, he, he never compromised on his truth. He never compromised on his justice. But he also never compromised on his love and mercy. This is a big example to all of us. Yeah, we see the judges, Israel, spiral down more and more and more and more into corruption. But God didn't let them go all the way completely, rejecting them as his people. He still loved them. They were still the apple of his eye. In Jeremiah, it says to, to Israel, to Judah, Israel's already gone by now. Israel's already taken captive by now. But to Judah, he says, you know, I've divorced you, but I'm taking you back. He's going against his own word. He, he shouldn't take back his own wife that he had divorced. But he says, I am taking you back. He went against the law of Moses to say, I am taking you back. Why? Because I've loved you with an everlasting love. So saying the same thing to, to, the, to, to all of Israel that were still together yet. They cry and they raise a prophetess. God has this prophetess Deborah, the wife of Lafith, and she became a judge of Israel at that time. It says that she sat under the palm tree between uh, Ramah and Bethel. Apparently, she lived probably closer to Bethel, and she would sit under a palm tree 
and the people would come to her for counsel, for advice. So she was a prophetess, but she also judged Israel in that fashion. And some people question, why would God choose a woman? Doesn't the New Testament say, you know, the, the, the man is the head of the wife and the wife is... <coughs> and the, head of, uh, uh, the man is Christ and the head of Christ is God. Why is now a woman leading the nation of Israel? Perhaps there are... It doesn't say there's a lot of things that happen in between verses. But, but perhaps... It because the man wasn't doing his job. Perhaps because Barak was too shy or too timid or lacking faith to do what God wanted him to do. Look what she says to him. She went and sent for Barak, the son of Abinoam, of Kedesh Naphtali, and she said unto him, Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded? Didn't you know what God said to Israel to do? Why are you sitting here? What are you doing here? Hath not God commanded this? It, it seems to me that she was reminding Barak that he should have stepped up as a leader in Israel. But he didn't. So she had to step in. Go and draw toward Mount Tabor and take with thee 10,000 men of the children of Daphne and of Zebulun and I will draw unto thee to the river Kishon. Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army, which is charioted multitudes, and I will deliver into thine hands. And Barak said, as a real man, if you don't go, I won't go. But if you go, I will go. This had never happened before. God used a donkey to show Naaman what he should do. God used a woman. Not that we are in any way making women less important, but the way God has chosen leadership and authority, he has chosen the man to lead but the women are in, in, have been used in tremendous ways throughout a scripture in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Whether it was Rahab, whether it was Esther, whether it was uh, Sarah, whether it was Rebecca, whether it was Deborah, whether it was the daughters of Philip that prophesied, whether it was the, the, the disciples that, that, that followed Jesus around with the women that ministered to Christ. God has always used both men and women, but ascribed to men the authority in the household, in the leadership. So Deborah said, I'll come with you. And they go all the way up to, it says, <coughs> Kadesh, Kadesh Naphtali. Naphtali was the, 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 the um, northernmost, if you will, tribe where it was ascribed as allotted land. There was Zebulon below it and Naphtali above. So they go all the way up past where Sisera is and there they gather the two tribes Naphtali and Zebulon and now they're going to make their 
counter-offensive, if you will, or the offensive, when they come back down to Mount Tabor, which is between the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee. And they had these chariots, these 900 chariots. That's why they chose the plain of where the river Kison is, because that's where the chariots could have free course, not in the hills, but in the plain, the plain of Jezreel, where Megiddo is, where eventually the, the battle, if you will, of the Lord God Almighty will, will occur. <coughs> the battle of Armageddon, they call it, in the, the book of uh, Revelation. So here comes this tremendous, mighty army commander, Sisera, He's coming down from the top near Mount Carmel, the area, and is coming down to Jezreel, Valley of Jezreel, down to Megiddo, and then down to Mount Tabor. And he's going to defeat Israel. This was a trap. Deborah, she said, you come with me up there and I'll, I'll draw in Sisera. And when this happened, there was a mighty slaughter. A mighty slaughter. It says that they discomfited the Canaanites all the way back up to Herosheth. And everybody was, was defeated. And Sisera, the brave captain of the Canaanite host, jumps out of his chariot and he runs and flees. And he comes to a house. And the woman in the house is named Jael. Yael. And she says, come in. Come to me. So he's tired. He's thirsty. And he says, give me some water. He gives, she, she gives him milk, not water. He feels sleepy. He goes to bed. And he never wakes up. She kills him in his bed. They defeat them with a mighty defeat. If you go to chapter 5, chapter 5 is nothing but a rehearsal of what happened in chapter 4. It's Deborah, the prophetess, Barak, the captain. They're singing a song that Deborah composed. They're singing this song and they're recounting of the great victory that God had given them. Praise ye the Lord for the avenging of Israel when the people willingly offered themselves. Hear, O ye kings, give ear, O ye princes. Even I will sing unto the Lord. I will sing the praise. And it keeps going all the way, recounting to the days of Shamgar, uh, how he, during his days, the Canaanites had blocked off the highways. They kept all the farmland for themselves. They were hiding in the hills. And the inhabitants in the villages ceased they were no more in the villages in the plain. They were driven out. And now I, the mother of Israel, arose. And God defeated them. And she said, you know, when this happens, when you get to Sisera, it won't be for your own glory. Because a woman is going to kill him. She prophesied that a woman will kill Sisera. 
to Barak so that no one can boast. He had a big army and because of his power, but a woman would kill the enemy of Israel. And what is that saying to us? That is saying that we may always have a reason why we can't do something. The job's too big for me. I've never done it before. Someone else should do it. Somebody with more talents, with more, with more power, with more ability, with more money, with more time. We heard that this morning. And yet God... What does it say in 1 Corinthians chapter 1? Look around you, brethren. There are not many mighty, not many noble, not many wise after this world that God has called. But he's called the base things of the world to confound the wise, the weak things, to confound the mighty. That's our God all over again. His character is, is... is just etched in almost every page of scripture where you see the way he deals with his people, his consistency, his, his, his power, his wisdom, his understanding. And yet men still seek to go doing things that are right in their own eyes. And what may seem a, a contradiction, God turns into a victory. And so when things get tough, we give up. We don't see the God of the Bible. We don't see the character of God. We say, God will do it for somebody else, but he won't do it for me. Because there were people that were bystanders. There were those that were sitting on the sidelines. This is what... uh, This is what Deborah said and sang. She extolled... Out of Ephraim was there the root of them against Amalek. Benjamin among Mongolai people and Machir, which is the son of Manasseh, the tribe of Manasseh, came down governors and out of Zebulun they had handled the pen, and the, pen, the pen of the rider and the princes of Issachar were with Deborah, even Issachar and also Barak for the divisions of Reuben were their great thoughts of heart. And then he, she started saying, where were you? Why abodest, Why did you abide with the sheepfolds to hear the bleatings of the flocks? For the divisions of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. Gilead abode beyond the Jordan. You stayed there. You didn't come and help. And why, Dan, did you go? You stay in your ships. And Asher, you continued on the seashore, going fishing, whatever it was, and abode in your breaches. But Zebulun and Naphtali, all these came down. And God, break, God brought the victory. But there were those that were standing on the sideline if you will, waiting to see what was going to happen instead of getting involved. This is an indictment to us. Are we standing on the sidelines and watching others in the fray, watching others, as we heard this morning, in the service of God, And are we standing on the side? Are we just spectators? You know, the the picture given before of the tabernacle, 
when, when God told Moses to build the tabernacle and all the furniture that would be placed in there and all the responsibilities of, chiefs, of, the, of the priests and the Levites, what they had to do, and the artifactors, Bezalel and others that would do things, but Israel will be outside the camp on north, south, east and west, 12 tribes all circle around. And when worship came about, they would be there almost like spectators seeing what's happening in the tabernacle. Well, that tabernacle was ripped down. It's gone. Shiloh. That temple was ripped down. It's gone in Jerusalem. And God says, now we no longer have the tabernacle. We no longer have the temple. You are the temple. You are not spectators. You are not this cloud of witnesses that are standing by and clapping as people walk by. You are the witnesses of the former heroes of faith. And as they perform, we need to perform. That's what it means. We need to be running the race together with them and we are encouraged by them. Then the kings came and fought and the, fought the kings of Canaan in Tanakh by the waters of, Meg waters of Megiddo. The river Kishon flowed through Megiddo. They took no money for their gain. They fought from heaven. The stars in their courses fought against Sisera. What does that mean? That God brought in cosmic forces, the, the forces of nature, if you will, that man cannot control. Why do we say that? Because it says the river of Kishon swept them away. The ancient river, the river Kishon, oh my soul, thou hast trodden down the strength. But that's what they used. They used the banks. They used the valley to, to drive their chariots through. But all of a sudden, it was flooded. There's a commentary by whether it's true or not. What was the, what was the cause of this sweeping away in this big torrent down the river, destroying the enemy? Josephus says, for down, and he's commenting on this event. For God, down came the hail and the rain and the torrents and it completely swept away the enemy. Did it happen that way? I can't confirm that. I wasn't there. But somehow it happened. God made it happen. So I said, where did these stars from heaven come from? Stars, if you remember in the book of Job, actually are names for angels. They're different Descriptions of angels. Where were you when I formed the earth? And the stars sang for joy. The angels sang for joy. God can work in natural ways, supernatural ways. He can use men. He can use, he can use anyone he chooses. And he chose to do it that way that day. And it ended up in victory for Israel. The mother of Sisera was looking out the window, it says here, the last few verses of chapter 5. She's looking for, see, where's her son? He's not coming home. He's supposed to be home by now. 
And her friends were saying, oh, they're probably dividing the spoils. You're probably having a good time now. They've got so much, so many. They've got two women each. They've got all this food, all this uh, uh, gold, all this spoils of battle. They're probably taking their time. No, her son didn't come home that day. You know, I don't rejoice in that. And I know, I believe God doesn't rejoice in that. You know why? Because it says in Ezekiel 33 that God does not have pleasure in the death of the wicked. Read it for yourself. God does not have pleasure even in the death of the wicked. I was watching a news clip the other day. And they're always showing these clips about, you know, Ukraine did this, Ukraine did that. Watch the Ukrainians as they, as they fish out the Russians out of the trench. And you see them going in there and throwing in grenades and, and shooting them out. And I thought, oh, that must be horrible for anyone. I don't feel good about that. I don't feel good about even Russians that are supposed to have started the war, that they're getting slaughtered because of, of one man's decision to invade Ukraine. I don't have pleasure in that. How much does God have pleasure in that? He doesn't. It shows you that God does love mankind. He doesn't have pleasure in the death of the wicked. But he allows things to happen. He says to you and to me, if you want to go your way, you will bear the consequences of going your way, of doing things that are right in your own eyes. When people take risks in life, they go into the submersible to see the Titanic and then they die. Well, what do you say? What do you say to all that? They chose to go. There were many warnings, they chose to go. I feel sorry for them, I really do, especially if they haven't made right with their Lord. But when you make a decision, because you're going to get a kick out of it, because you make a name for yourself, because you may have temporary, short-term, as it says, a, a pleasure for a season, then you live with the consequences. God does not have pleasure in the death of the wicked. And you go from Judges chapter 1 all the way to Samuel, who was probably, him and Eli may have been the last two judges of Israel before the king Saul was Elected, And then God even told them what's going to happen. When you choose a king over me, this is what's going to happen to you. They chose wrong. Oh, but we voted him in. It's fair and square. You chose. God says to Samuel, when Samuel was so discouraged, Samuel, don't, don't be discouraged. They didn't reject you. They rejected me. I plead with you, my dear friend outside of Christ, and my dear brother and sister too, when we make our decisions, when we make our decisions, when we take very especially decisions that have long-lasting and maybe eternal consequences, are we doing it with our own understanding? Or are we committing our way to the Lord? That's my prayer to us all, in Jesus' name. Amen. I wrote down 
my search in the Bible, these five times the Lord said this, Deuteronomy 12, while the people were still traveling to Canaan, ye shall not do after all the things that we do here this day, every man whatsoever is right in his own eyes. Judges 17.6 In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Judges 21.25 In those days there was no king in Israel, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Proverbs 12.15 The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. Proverbs 21.2 Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. Just like Israel seemed never to have learned their lesson, it seems that we have a hard time learning lessons as well. Because we do things that make sense to us. Instead of accepting, once we have accepted that the word of God is the authority on our lives, and we don't have to appeal to any man's opinions, then we're on the right track. And we will, it will fare well. The, the beginning of understanding and the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And we receive that from the word of God. I just pray that every one of us can look around. Like Paul said to the church of Corinth, look around you brothers, look around. Look, where, look what God has chosen. Look around this world, see where churches have gone because they've leaned to their own understanding, because they've had compassion and not say, what does the Lord say about this? Because they compromise and not say, what does the Lord say about this? I pray that, first for myself, that I don't ever do that, that compromise because of compassion human compassion on someone, but what does the Lord say about this particular issue? And I want to leave on a, a very positive note. Despite all that happened in the book of Judges, God still loved Israel. God still loved Israel with an everlasting love. So much that Jesus came first to the sheep, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. This concludes our service.